What's up, future PTAs? If you're taking the exam in January 2024, listen up because we have a special opportunity for you guys. We will be hosting our quarterly last minute review session where we're going to basically spend about six hours covering NPTE material and make sure that you feel really ready to go on exam day and basically hammer out any last minute details to make sure that you know exactly what to study for this last week or so before the exam. So that will be happening on December 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be a blast. This has been our most requested, most attended thing we've ever done. This is great. So sign up in the show notes down below. Now on to the show. All right, guys. So today we're going to go over spinal stenosis. So let's get into it. This isn't going to be too crazy. This is just one of the spinal pathologies that you're going to see a lot of in the clinic. Um, you're also going to see it pop up on the boards. So let's just talk about the anatomy. So I have this blocked off here. If you like reverse image search this photo, you'll see it says herniated disc. While that can happen with spinal stenosis, I really don't want you guys to get confused about that because that's a whole separate thing that the boards will quiz you about. So I have a video on herniated discs, so go watch that one. Um, don't worry about it for this, but you will see in your notes and in the literature that spinal stenosis can cause herniated discs and stuff like that. Um, what I want you to do is just make note that that's something that can happen in the world. Take that information, put it in a little box, set that box aside. And then you can use that in clinical practice later. Now we're here, everything's good. Let's focus on the important things that we're gonna need to know for our um, spinal stenosis patients. So it obviously involves the spine, says it in the name. Stenosis means narrowing. So when you have the spine is narrowing. So at some point in the spine, we are getting some narrowing going on. The space is getting smaller. Remember when things get smaller, they get compressed. So this is more of a compression pathology. So we'll see that we have the intervertebral foramina. So that's like here. We have, this is like the space between the foramen right here. That spot can get like between each like each vertebrae. So that spot can get impinged. So that's what's happening here. This is becoming uh, some osteophyte formation that's pushing on the spinal nerve root, which is going to cause some compression. And that's why they have those radicular symptoms down their leg. You can also have the facet joint. So remember our facets in our lumbar spine come from here. They're like almost vertical. Those will end up um, getting hypertrophied. And then again, you know, bone spur formation, bone spurs are just pushing into whatever is the nearest structure. They're just causing problems. So again, with that being said, we're going to see some compression on the nerve root. And you can also see that the central canal where the spinal cord is can also become narrow as well and can compress the spinal cord. So if you're seeing a lot of spinal cord compression, that's where we have more of our red flaggy kind of things. PT should be able to screen those out, no problem. Um, but again, just be aware in case they missed something in the eval, or maybe it wasn't bad on eval and now it's getting worse, then you obviously take action. Um, but those are the main things that are involved with the spine. And then, you know, you have your spinal cord going through and then the little nerve roots branch off the spinal cord. And as you can tell, those are very close to where the vertebrae are. So if there's any osteophyte formation, we're seeing that narrowing happen. So etiology. So this is something that just normally happens with age. I don't want to say like normally, but understand that for the patient, they might feel like, is this my fault? Is it something I did wrong? Nah, it just happens. So uh, with that being said, you'll see degeneration which means that this is going to be more common in older adult populations, more commonly seen in males than females, just based on how the cookie crumbles. Um, so again, usually on the boards, if you see a question, it'll be like a 65-year-old male. Woo, likes to sit down a lot. Yeah, so that's what you're going to see for this. Um, so facet joint or ligamentous hypertrophy, that's what I was kind of talking about in this last picture. Everything kind of just 
gets squishing on itself. So you have, if you guys remember, we have a couple ligaments in the spine. One of them is the ligamentum flavum that lines the inside of the spinal cord that can become bigger. And so that like spinal column, you know, canal, central canal that lines it, what it can do is it can get bigger and squish the spinal cord. So this is again, squish kind of thing, spinal stenosis, two S's, squish, compression. That's what's going on with this. That's how I remember it. So again, osteophyte formation, which is essentially just a nice way to say you got arthritis in your spine. Um, and so you'll see that that affects the spinal nerves and roots and everything, compresses stuff. Um, so y'all remember both like any sort of osteoarthritis, you have um, decrease in the joint space. The spine is still a joint. The facet joints are a joint. Everything's going on. There's joints in there. There, the, the space between those is getting narrower. And the reason why this causes lots of problems is because it decreases mobility and causes those compression on those nerves. And that's why people end up coming in because they're like, why can't I feel anything? My back hurts and my leg is numb. Okay, let's figure that out. Um, so most common thing you're going to see on the boards will be just natural degeneration with age. Other causes of this can be trauma. We have fracture as well. And then ankylosing spondylitis uh, can cause it. Remember, that's that bamboo spine, that narrowing. That's where I see in this picture here, the whole spine will start looking like that. Um, I have a video on that complete separate thing. You're going to treat that differently than you're going to treat spinal stenosis. So this video is going to just talk about straight, run-of-the-mill, degenerative, spinal stenosis. Ankylosing spondylitis has a different treatment like pattern. So go watch that video to know how to treat that. Just understand, take that in the little box, put it aside for clinical practice later. So what does it look like? So the big things is that this is a flexion bias. Patient likes to be sitting down. They have decreased pain in sitting, increased pain in standing. Remember in sitting, if you start sitting right here, you are, you know, your back's kind of flat against the, the chair. You're in a posterior pelvic tilt and that's a flexion of the spine. And they like that because in this picture, you can see that if they're in more of an extension base, that's going to compress that posterior aspect of the spine. You know, we have more compression on the posterior aspect. Uh, it's pushing everything forward, which is great for a herniated disc, but for somebody with spinal stenosis, this is just squishing all the, you know, facet joints and all the like bone into the spinal cord. They don't like that. If they go into a flexion base, that means that this, the anterior part is going to be more compressed and that's going to help open up the back side of the spine. So it's going to open up those facet joints as you go into flexion. If you feel it on yourself, so find some of your spinous processes, if you're able to find two in your back. And then when you flex forward, you'll notice your, sp your spinous processes start to go farther apart. That's opening up those facet joints. That's opening up that posterior space right here, which is what it needs. It needs to open up. So you have to go into flexion. So if you're confused, literally feel yourself. You can feel yourself on the exam um, and just chilling. How would they know? Maybe you're adjusting your back. How would they know? Um, so again, patient prefers activities where the spine is flexed and that posterior pelvic tilt. So this is the person where they're like forward flexed over like their grocery cart, walking around the store. Like let's say a patient tells you, oh, like, I can walk around the grocery store as long as I have a cart to lean on. And they're like, it, it makes my back not hurt as much. That's definitely spinal stenosis. I like to play the game in the store. Like, is it spinal stenosis or is it COPD? Because both of them like to lean forward on something. It's called tripody. Um, spinal stenosis will be for, you know, decreasing pain in the back. COPD kind of thing would be for helping breathe. So just an interesting thing to kind of talk about there. So they like that forward flex posture. They might even be furniture surfing. You know, that patient that like gets up and they need to like, you know, lean on the table for a little bit before they start walking around. That's that, you know, enjoying that posterior pelvic tilt and staying in that flexion. They're going to have those ridiculous symptoms. So nerve symptoms down their legs. Make sure you know what that word ridiculous means because um, it's going to show up. 
So they're going to have symptoms down their legs. It could be both legs. It could be one, could be none. Who knows? Um, for like my dad's got spinal stenosis, he's got it down his right leg. Sometimes people present with both, which is not necessarily bad, but the PT should be the one making sure that they rule out the red flags. Um, but again, because it's usually compressing that nerve root. So if it's compressing the nerve root, remember once things come off the spinal cord, spinal cord is upper motor neuron, everything off the spinal cord, nerve roots, those become lower motor neuron. So because it's compressing it, you know, it's a posterior, like a peripheral nerve entrapment essentially is what's going on. Because of that, it's going to present with lower motor neuron stuff. So because information is not coming from the spinal cord, not getting that information from the nerve root, you're going to see that the patient's going to have decreased deep tendon reflexes because these are all lower motor neuron presentation, going to have dermatobal hyposensitivity. So if it's like L2, they're going to have, they're not going to be able to feel as well on that anterior thigh. Um, and you're also going to have myotomal weakness. So again, if it's L2, they're going to have decreased ability to do hip flexion. So those are some of the deficits you'll start to notice with this patient um, that will be addressed in your treatment of them. And understanding that it's not just like it's weak, it's that the nerve is not, there's not information coming from the nerve because it's getting stuck at the spinal cord or at the, you know, the nerve root. And so watching out for these red flags, guys, uh, again, the PT should be the one screening this out. It's going to be more of a PT question on the exam where they're like, patient presents with this. Like, what do you do? It's like supposed to be spinal stenosis, but all this random crazy stuff is going. Remember that I said before with spinal stenosis is that the central canal, which is where the spinal cord goes through, can start to squish. If that starts to happen, they're going to present with upper motor neuron symptoms. Because remember, the spinal cord is upper motor neuron, spinal cord and brain, cerebellum is lower cerebral cortex and everything like that, all that brain, brain and spinal cord is upper. So you'll present with upper motor neuron stuff, which would be spasticity, hyperreflexia. Um, and then you could also have a rapid onset of weakness. So if you're seeing the patient presenting with loss of bowel and bladder, remember that's our big red flag or like worse pain at night, all of those things. If you're seeing that you're like, oh crap. If they're losing control of their bowel and bladder, that means that literally they are becoming paralyzed from like the waist down. So we don't want that. Um, so if you're seeing stuff like that and then you do deep tendon reflexes and they're like, woo, all over the place, hyperreflexia, you're like, oh crap. Babinski as well, all that stuff. If that's showing up, if you're using upper motor neuron signs and if you're seeing a Babinski sign on somebody, that's really bad. They need to go to the ER uh, because that needs to be addressed. They might need to go in for emergency surgery. Uh, so just be aware that those are those red flags that could show up. Boards probably isn't going to ask you about that, but they might have like one red flag kind of question. Just be aware, just kind of have that in the back of your mind. But most of the time they're going to be asking you a question about flexion. So they're going to be asking like, which one of these exercises is going to be most appropriate or which one of these exercises is going to exacerbate their symptoms the most. Remember, exercises they like are going to be those flexion exercises. So if they're, you know, doing ball rollouts, single knee to chest, double knee to chest, posterior pelvic tilt, anything that's going to be flexing the spine, they love that. They love the recumbent bike too, because they're in that like flex leany position. Um, so they love those exercises and those will help um, decrease their symptoms. So again, you'll start with those. And then this is just put in our little box for clinical practice later, you are going to be able to extend that patient's spine later on in their treatment to help get them back to function because maybe they need to, you know, pick things up and like they want to like, you know, fix their lights in their home. They have to be up like this in extension. You're going to have to get them more comfortable in that position. Don't ever be afraid to not do anything about it. Um, so that would be later on in treatment. Again, 
put that in a box for later. Boards is just going to ask, what do you start with? Which is going to be all those flexion exercises. Stabilization is always like helpful, but again, the boards is probably going to be like, would you choose between stabilization or flexion? Always choose flexion. Uh, stretching and strengthening of the lower extremities. Again, always going to be helpful. However, the board's gonna, the best answer will be the flexion. So I'm just gonna kind of explain what the other answers that might show up on, which aren't wrong, but the best thing to do is flexion. So if you're like, which one of these should you start with with a patient? Flexion, always. Um, yellow flags are going to be like, if you're suspecting maybe they had a fracture or something go on, that's where you talk to the PT and be like, I think I have a fracture here. I like the PT mix. That's more of a yellow flag because then you'll have the PT come over. We'll like screen and everything and then be like, oh man, okay. Red flags are like that loss of bowel and bladder, double symptoms, bilaterally, hyperreflexia, all those crazy upper motor neuron, Babinski, bad ER. Stop the treatment, send them to the ER, then tell the PT what was going on so then they can help write something up. All right, guys, so our keywords are going to be they prefer sitting, they like the flexion exercises, it's going to be worse than st standing, they might have the radiculopathy and um, symptoms down their leg, it's going to be an older adult, remember, more likely male, and then most likely for the boards, it's going to show up as a non-traumatic onset, so this is the things that will show up on the boards. Like I can guarantee you, if you have anything about spinal stenosis showing up on their exam, it's going to be talking about these things rather than like a potential fracture or like crazy stuff going on. It will be these things. Don't overcomplicate it. Just giving you some other information if you want to put that in a box for later. That's why I always tell you if it's boards related or box for later. Sample question, guys. A patient presents to physical therapy with a diagnosis of spinal stenosis. Which of the following activities would most likely cause an increase in radicular symptoms? One, walking on an increased treadmill. Two, plantigrade hip extension. Three, sideline clams or four anterior pelvic tilt and quadruped. So I'll give you guys a second to think about that. All right, guys, so the answer is going to be an anterior pelvic tilt and quadruped. So let's kind of go through these. So which would most likely increase the radicular symptoms? If they have spinal stenosis, they're going to like flexion, and they're going to have an increase in symptoms when they move into extension. So let's go through our answers. Walking on an inclined treadmill. If, you're walk if the treadmill is increased, you're going to have to, like, think about if you're walking up a hill. You're going to have to lean forward to, like, walk up that hill, right? You're gonna, if you're trying to lean back while walking up a hill, you're going to fall backwards. So if you're confused about this, go find even steps to climb up. Find like, like increase the treadmill. If you're like standing like this, where you're leaning back on the treadmill to like hold yourself up, you're not doing it right. You need to have that hinge forward and go up. That's why your ass burns like crazy when you walk up a hill because you're having to use your posterior chain because you're flexed forward. Um, plantigrade hip extension. Remember, plantigrade is that position if you're leaning on a counter or something, and if they're doing hip extension like that, because they're flexed forward, that's not going to increase their symptoms. Now, if they're standing completely upright, then we're going into a little bit of lumbar extension as well. But because we're flexed forward in that plantigrade position, that's not going to increase any symptoms. Sideline clamps, neutral spine, that's fine not going to cause an increase in symptoms, anterior pelvic tilt and quadruped. So let's go through this. So everybody go on the ground. You're going to not be able to see me, but we're going on the ground. If you're able to, if you're driving, please don't, please don't. Okay. If you're able to. So 
The anterior pelvic tilt and quadruped. Quadruped, you're on all fours. Posterior pelvic tilt is where you tuck your tail under, and that's like where you go into the angry cat, if we're thinking of a cat-cow. And then for anterior pelvic tilt, you're going to arch your back, stick the booty out, and you're going to let your back arch and bring your head up. This is the cow portion of the cat-cow. So tucking the tail under, it's posterior, having the tail, um, having the butt out and arching the back is going to be our anterior pelvic tilt. Remember, an anterior pelvic tilt puts the spine into extension, posterior puts it into flexion. I hope this was helpful, guys. This was a much requested video, and I will talk to you guys soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the PTA Elevation Podcast. We look forward to continually serving you as you embark on your journey towards becoming a licensed physical therapist assistant. We thank you for your continued support and we'll see you in the next episode.